All right. Well, I enjoyed the uh, basically the Olympics. You know, I I, I enjoyed the uh, the. Now, I I wasn't an official contestant, but at the very end, James and I were able to uh, compete, and and we won. We knocked down all the ducks. Um, we felt like the more important thing was just knock down the ladder, and then all the ducks came down. So I don't know if that was part of the rules, but we got the job done. Hey, I, I do want to say, uh, Pastor Will and, and folks at Arise Baptist, thank you for uh, being such a, a good host to me. I've enjoyed meeting each and every one of you, and I hope that I'll get a chance to come back at some point in the future. Uh, but I've, I've enjoyed this. These, these are the days. And sometimes we say, you know, boy, remember back in the day? These are the days. You're living the days right now. I was telling Will as we came in yesterday uh, that this church reminds me so much of the early days at uh, our church in Pennsylvania, Harvest Baptist, when uh, we just, uh, I'm just telling you, there's just so many things. Just uh, you're going to look back and say, remember the old building? Because you're not going to stay here. God's going to grow this church. Great things are going to happen. One day you're going to sell this property. You're going to move somewhere else. And you're going to keep on, keep that property. You're going to use all you can here, but you're going to outgrow it. And you're going to go to the, you're going to have to go to two services. And the parking lot's going to be jam-packed. And you're going to, what are we going to do? And those are going to be good problems to have. And you're going to go to the next place. And, and you're going to look back and you're going to say, remember? Remember we had that, that conference and we played those games outside. And remember the old building going to drive by here? I'm just telling you. Uh, these are the days, and you're going to all look back and say, we were a part of that. And so it's special, and I, I appreciate uh, your – and there's something about the, the pioneer spirit. There's something about these, these early days because only, only certain kinds of people come to the early days of a church, and they're people that love the Lord. They're people that love the Word of God. They're people that have their priorities right. You're not, you're not coming because there's a big fancy building. You're not coming because, you know, you've got uh, uh, all these programs and all these events. You're coming because you have a pioneer, entrepreneurial spirit to say, let's, let's see God do something great. And I really appreciate that. There, there's just something about the quality of people that come in the early days of a startup church. And uh, so anyway, it's been a joy. It's been a joy for me to be here. I do want to bring one last session and I'm going to change directions just a tiny bit. Uh, I want to talk about a family in the Bible that was both dysfunctional, uh, and because I think that's all of us to a degree, we all have levels of dysfunction, and yet uh, a family whom God blessed in a great and mighty way over the years. Uh, so I want you to look at the I want you to look at the little Old Testament book of Ruth. I know you've heard messages from the book of Ruth. This won't be uh, typical to maybe what you've heard. Uh, but I, I want to talk to uh, every member in the family today. So we've got moms, we've got dads, and we've got uh, the older children, uh, teenagers in the room. I think that, that's who we have, moms and dads and teenagers in the room. I think all of us can fit in one of those three categories. I'm pretty sure everyone in the room can fit in one of those three categories, a mom, a dad, or a teenager in the room. I want to talk to you about... Uh, being an effective member of your family. So the book of Ruth uh, in your Bible, Joshua, Judges, and that little book of Ruth. And Ru Ruth is really just a little story from the book of Judges. That's all it is. It's a little story from the book of Judges, from that time era, from that time frame in the Bible. So I want to talk to dads. 
and then I want to talk to moms, then I want to talk to teenagers. Okay, so dads and moms and teenagers, and let's talk about what it means to be a, an effective family. Let's learn the lessons. Okay, dads, moms, and teenagers. Look at verse 1 of the book of Ruth. Well, the Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So now we know this is a story during that time frame. What do we know about that time frame? Okay, we know in the time frame of the book of Judges that people were kind of on their own. What does that mean? Does that mean that God was not there? No, God was there. Matter of fact, a God wanted that to be a, per, a perpetual time in Israel's history. He never wanted them to be like all the countries around them. He never wanted them to have a king. Now, he used that, but that was not God's first choice. God's first choice is that people would follow him by listening to the godly appointed leaders in their life. These judges, those that would communicate the word of God, those that would lead them to love God, serve God, to look to God first. And so during the time of judges, instead of people doing what God said, people do what they, people did what they thought was right. And that's our default in life. A lot of times our default in life is we do the things that we think, hey, this makes sense. You know, this, may, this is just good common sense. This is what I think our family should do. And so during the time of judges, Every man, so the leaders in the families, the dads, the husbands, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody kind of made his own eyes. My family, you know, my wife, my kids, my decision. That's, that's what characterized the book of Judges. So if a, if a man was godly, then that family did well spiritually. If a man was mediocre, then a family, a family was mediocre. If a, fa- if, if a dad was, uh, was carnal, then that, the family was carnal. And that's what we find in the book of, of Judges. We find a, a little vignette, a little picture, a little story of a man by the name of, look at it, verse 1. There was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem, the same Bethlehem you're thinking about, Bethlehem where Jesus would be born, Bethlehem. That man in Bethlehem, a little village, small little town. Micah told us, little among the thousands of Judah, just a little place, little village, little farming community. I've been there many times. It's much bigger today, but just a little farming community. Bethlehem, Judah. The Bible says, a certain man went, went to journey, a sojourn in the country of Moab. There it is. Ready, guys? Here's Bethlehem over here. On the, it's kind of on the high ground. Down here, there's the Dead Sea. There's the Dead Sea, uh, the lowest part in the whole world, 1,200 feet below sea level. There it is. Here's Bethlehem. You can see it down there. And then across the way, the mountains on the other side, that's Moab. That's Moab. And so over here, things are going poorly. Over here, the economy stinks. Over here, uh, the, the grocery prices are going way, way up because famine, uh, s- s- simple supply and demands, uh, demand economics, Okay, the, 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 the crops are not coming in. The grocery prices are going up. It's tough to live. Hey, the job market's great over there. Uh, the gross, the, the God, God seems to be blessing over there. Let's go over there. Now, now, God, you've told us not to go. God, you've warned us about Moab. You've told us don't go back there. But, Lord, I'm the exception to the rule. And I'm going to go over there, and I'm not going to interact with them. I'm going to bring my kids with me, but we're not going to be a part of their culture. We're going to sojourn. We're not going to stay forever. It's just a temporary solution. We're going to come back, and we're going to be part of God's 
to uh, God's uh, covenant community again, but for a time, we're going to go over there. Okay? Decision made by dad. Elimelech. Decision made by dad. Okay? So let's give Elimelech the benefit of the doubt. Does Elimelech love God? I think he does. Does Elimelech know God? I think he does. Does Elimelech have the best desire for his family to serve God? I think he does. He, he's not going permanently. He's not abdicating his faith. He's not turning his back on what he believes. He wants to go spend just a time. He's not going to assimilate. He's not going to be a part. He's just going to go for a time to get his family's finances in order, and then he's going to come back. Okay, it sounds like a logical plan. He's doing that which is right in his own eyes. Okay, but there are some things when we make decisions that we cannot predict. There are some things we can that when we make decisions, guys, dads, leaders of the family, governmental heads of the home. There's some decisions we make that we cannot we cannot plan out the circumstances because watch what happens here in verse two. So the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi. What a, what a pleasant person she was. Her name means pleasant. I think she had a great testimony. I think I can prove that later in the message. I think I can prove that Naomi had a great testimony, a pleasant personality, a great influence upon other people. Watch this. Uh, and his, the name of his two sons. So he has two sons. Uh, one's name is Malon. The other's name is Kilion. Malon and Kilion, the two sons. How old are they? They're probably teenagers when they leave. Now, they, stand, they stay for 10 years. They're, they're in Moab for 10 years. Okay, so they're probably older teenagers when they go. How do you know that? Because they both get married. They both get married in Moab. So they probably were in their 20s when they got married. So maybe they're young men when they leave Bethlehem, but, but they're maybe older teenagers. And so you've got a family of four. You have Elimelech, the dad. You have Naomi, the mom. You have Malon and Kilion, the boys. And uh, Elimelech, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He knows God. He's part of God's covenant community. He's not going to Moab to stay there. He knows better than that. He's going to go there for a while because it makes sense. It's an economic decision. He's going to come back because that's what sojourn means. I'm not staying. I'm coming back. And so he has a future plan for his family. So listen, this guy, Elimelech, he'd do well in most churches. Okay, he's a good guy. He loves God. He loves his family. He wants the best for them. He wants to provide for them. Is that a good decision? Absolutely. Is that, is that a, good, uh, a good dad? I think so. Does he want to insulate his family from evil influences? You better believe it. He doesn't want them to become Moabites. He's not going and changing citizenship. He's going to come back, okay? But something happens outside of Elimelech's control. Watch what happens in verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He never would have planned that. He, he wasn't going there to die. He was going there to sojourn. He wasn't going there as a terminus, at the, as, the, as an end. He was going there to start a new beginning. Okay, but what Elimelech could not have planned is he could not have planned what would happen to him. Now, how did he die? We don't know. Was it an accident? Was it, uh, was it some kind of a genetic problem? Because we're going to find out his boys die too. Uh, I don't know. Was it the judgment of God? Maybe. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is that Elimelech died. And when Elimelech died, his influence died with him. 
Now, remember, Elimelech wanted to go and protect his family. That's his reason for going. He wanted to go and provide for his family. That's his reason for going. He wanted to go and spend just a short period of time and come back. That was his reason for going. Okay, but when he died, some things happened that he would not have approved of. When he died, some things happened that he never would have envisioned. When he died, some things happened that that connected his family to Moab in ways that he never wanted his family to be connected to Moab. Because watch what happens in verse 4. In verse 4, the Bible says, and they, so this is after Elimelech dies. This is after he no longer has that governmental uh, influence over his children. The Bible says, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. Now listen, that was in direct violation to God's word. God had been very clear about that. Matter of fact, when God's people had come to the promised land in the first place, remember, one of the last things that happened to them before they came to the promised land was that they intermarried with Moabite women. And God allowed a plague to come, and 23,000 Israel, Israelites died as a result of their, their yoking up with the Moabites in direct conflict, a, a contradiction to what God had told them. And God said, don't ever do that again. And so Moab became just a, 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 an illustration that you never want to go back there. And if you go back there, you certainly never want to intermarry. You never want to do that. That was something clear to God's people. But guess what? Elimelech is gone now. And with it, his influence, and his boys now do the unthinkable thing. They marry Moabite girls. Okay, so I'm going to give one principle for each family member this morning. One principle. One principle for dads. One principle for moms. One principle for, for teenagers. Okay? So what's the, pr what's the principle I want to give to dads? Uh, you dads, you husbands, what's the principle? Okay? Here it is. Determine. Deter see, a Brother Abe. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for coming. Yep. Uh, here's the principle for dads. Ready? The principle for dads is understand the power of directional decisions. Every dad, understand the power of the directional decisions. We, I'm talking to myself now. I'm talking to myself. Maybe you're a single mom. Uh, so you're operating as dad and mom. Okay? Understand the power of the directional decisions in your family. Okay? Because the decisions that you make for which you'll be accountable and you'll stand in front of God for are the directional decisions of your family. Okay? You will give account for that. The directional decisions of your family. What did Elimelech do? Elimelech made an uninformed decision. Okay? He, wasn't, he could have been informed. He should have known better. The word of God was already clear on the matter. God was already clear about not going to Moab. The Bible was already clear about not intermarrying with, with, the, with the heathen people. He was already clear about that. Okay? But here was the decision based upon his own logic. Dads, I'm going to tell you something. I'm telling you this by personal experience. Okay? Having made some really stupid decisions in my life. Okay? When we make decisions based upon what we think is right. Okay? Based upon economics alone. Then we make a really bad decision. When we make decisions based on what we think is right, economics alone. I cannot tell you how many people that I have counseled over the years that have made decisions on economics alone. You say, well, I just got this great offer, this, this big job transfer. It's going to be a lot more money. 
Okay. Does that mean that we should never consider economics in our decision? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if your boss comes and says, hey, listen, uh, you're going to make $30,000 more a year, but you gotta, we got to transfer you to San Diego. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray about that. I'm not saying that that might not be a way by which God is leading, but we never make decisions in life based upon economics alone. You never make a decision in life based upon economics alone. And that's what he did. Elimelech made a decision based upon economics alone. This was the sole criterion for the reason he left. There was a famine in Bethlehem. It's better over there. We're going for a time. And that was a decision that catapulted his family into a world of hurt. Okay? It was his decision. Okay? My brethren, be not many masters. In other words, don't, don't, don't want to be the authority figure. You know why? Because we shall receive the greater condemnation. What the Bible teaches is those of us that have decision-making capability in our family, we're held to a much higher level of accountability. One day I will stand before God for the decisions I've made for Kurt and Wanda. One day I will stand before God for the decisions I've made for Kurt, Wanda, Nathaniel, Joshua, Caleb, and Hannah. One day I will stand before God for the influence I have upon Kurt, Wanda, Nathaniel, Charity, Jaden, Judah, Juliet, Joshua, Rachel, Caleb, Cassie, Hannah, and Flora. Who's Flora? That's Hannah's dog, okay? Uh, I'll just throw her in there because Hannah doesn't have a, a, a husband yet, so we'll just throw in her dog. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that our influence is exponential. Dads, the older you get, the more you see your influence played out. The older we become, the more it mushrooms. Right now, I've got, I've got influence to the third generation. The Bible says God visits the sins of the fathers under the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? Does that mean that because I've done something wrong that you know, my kids are automatically going to be judged for my sin? No, the Bible never teaches that. What the Bible is teaching is the principle of influence, that you will see your influence extend in a lifetime typically you'll see your grandkids and your great-grandkids in a lifetime you're going to typically see your grandkids and your great-grandkids and the greatest indication of your leadership is how do your great-grandkids live because that shows if you've obeyed the second timothy 2 2 principle okay so i know the tanners you know i know the tanners i've worked with them at at camps i've worked with them uh, over the years, I've known them through Lancaster. I knew Josh when he probably, he was a teenager. I know if I was a camp speaker when you were there. I think I was. And so I've, kn- I've known them for years. Okay? So the influence, now he, Josh doesn't have to do what his dad and mom say. He's a man himself. You know, he's pastored. He's got, you know, five, how many kids you have? T- 17 kids, whatever they've got. Okay? And, uh, and get a TV. Okay? But anyway, so, um, so I mean, his dad's influence, even though he's in California, is being wielded today. Matter of fact, the best indication of your influence, dad, is not what your kids do when you're around. I deal with school parents all the time that say, well, no, that's not my son. He never does that when I'm there. Duh. You know, duh. Of course he doesn't do that when you're there. He does that when you're not there. The greatest, the, greatest, the, greatest, uh, the greatest illustration of your leadership is not what your kids do when you're there. The greatest illustration of your leadership is what do your kids do when you're not there. 
You know, Pastor Skelly, are you a good pastor? I don't know. What do my church members do when I'm not there? Okay, we found out how strong Harvest Baptist Church was not when I was the pastor. We found out how strong Harvest Baptist Church was when I wasn't the pastor. Because that's the, that's the legacy of my influence. And so the legacy of your influence is what do your kids do when you're not there? Because when Elimelech died, here's what happened. His kids made really bad choices. When, when he was no longer there to say, don't marry her, don't date her, don't go there, that's when we found out who Malon and Kilion really were, when dad's influence was gone. And so what I say, dad, is build your influence carefully by making right decisions in front of your kids so that when you're not in front of your kids, that right influence extends itself. The power of directional choices. Dads, that's in your power. The power of directional choices. That's why I'd say, those of you that have young children, Santiago's what, five? Okay? He looks like he's eight, you know, big kid. Okay? That's why I'd say now, when your kids are small, boy, that as, bend, as bends the twig, so grows the tree. And understand, dads, with your, with your kids, they're not going to do what you expect. They're going to do what you train them to do. Understand that discipline is not training. Just because you, you rebuke your children or say, don't do that, or you shouldn't have said that, or we're not going to do that in our household, that's not training your kids. That's, that, that's simply reacting to disobedience. Discipline is a reaction to disobedience. We need to discipline our kids. Okay? But discipline is the ally of training. Training is child-rearing. Child-rearing is not discipline. Child-rearing is training. And so as your kids are small, you train them. When our kids were, you know, six, three, two, and one, they sat in church. They sat in church on the front row, and they didn't, they didn't misbehave. You know why? Because our kids are better than other kids? No, not at all. You know, but because we worked at it, and we would train, and we would, we would sit at home and say, okay, we're going to play church. We're going to play. We play games like come when you're, we play the come when you're called game. That was the game we play. Our kids were small. Okay, kids, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the come when you're called game. Okay, so what we want you to do is we want you to go in the other room and just play, and we're going to call. We might say, this is when the, there were just boys. When Hannah came, that was like kids, but before Hannah was boys. So I remember taking Joshua and Caleb and Hannah, well, or, or Joshua, uh, Nathaniel, Joshua, and Caleb, put them in the other room, say, okay, we might say, boys, and when you say that, here's what we want you to do. Stop what you're doing. Say, yes, sir, so we know you heard us, and then come running. So they'd go in the other room. We'd say, boys. They'd say, yes, sir. They'd come running. They'd love it. Oh, that was gay, guys. Guys, that was seven seconds. We'd do it, we'd do it again. Okay, next time, we're going to call one of you boys. So listen for your name. We'd say, Joshua. Yes, sir, he'd come. Oh, Joshua, that was good. You did that in five seconds. It took Caleb eight seconds. We play that game. And we say, Joshua, they'd be listening. What are you doing? We're training them. You know why? Because I want my kids to respond to my word. I want them to respond to my direction. Now, why? Are you on a power trip, Pastor Skelly? Yes, I am. No, no, no. It wasn't a power trip. I'm not training them for me. I'm not training them for me. I'm training them for him. When God's word speaks, I don't want them to, I don't want God to have to use large font. When God speaks to them, I don't want God to have to yell. 
When God speaks to them, I don't want God to have to use circumstances in their life to shake them. I want them to hear the still, small voice of God. So we train them. Dads, you have the power directionally to change your kids' lives. Train them. Train them to listen to God when you're there and when you're not there. Train them to respond to the voice of God when you're there and you're not there. Because the greatest indication of your leadership is what do your kids do when you're not there? That's an indication of your training. What they do when you are there, that's just an indication of, 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 of your discipline. Okay, I'll come down heavy. Don't you dare. I told you. I'm watching. Okay, but when they do right when you're not there, that's an indication of the power of your directional choices in your life, both good and bad. Both good and bad. So, Dad, understand the power of your directional decisions. Okay, number two, moms. Let's find out what happens to this girl, Naomi. The Bible says that the boys make these bad choices. And the Bible says in verse uh, 5 that uh, they, they Malon marries a girl by the name of Ruth. And, and uh, the, uh, Kilion marries a girl by the name of Orpah. Um, and by the way, do you know, this is where Oprah, Oprah Winfrey got her name. This is a true story. Oprah, her mom wanted to name her a Bible name and they, they named her Orpah, uh, but they had it wrong on the birth certificate. They put the P and the R, they transposed it. So it was Oprah. So, uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Look at, look at, look at, big deal, okay? And it should be the Orpah Winfrey show. That's all I'm saying. Look at, look at, look at verse four. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. Watch this. They dwelled there about 10 years. So now it's 10 years, and Malon and Kilion died. So think about it. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Kilion, they've left Bethlehem to ostensibly get help. And, and yet the pre-decision became the decision. And they're not helped. Matter of fact, to add an insult to injury, and I won't read the whole passage, what happens is Naomi's reading the newspaper one day, uh, and she reads, wow, God's blessing back in Bethlehem. They're having a great crop. God's doing a great work. And no, no doubt Naomi's thinking, if, if we had only stayed, if we had only trusted God, I'd have my husband, I'd have my boys, I'd have my faith, I'd have my happiness, but now uh, I've come out full and I'm going to go back home empty. So Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law. Think about it, three widows living together, three widows. And Naomi looks at her daughters-in-law and says, girls, uh, I'm going to go home. And there's nothing back in Bethlehem for you. It's not your language. It's not your people. It's not your religion. It's not your, uh, it's not your familiarities. And so, girls, here's what I'm saying to you, okay? I want you to stay here in Moab. Maybe you can go back to your parents' home. Maybe you can marry somebody else. You're young. You can have a good life, okay? I'm an old, bitter woman. I'm going home. So what happens? Orpah and Ruth, they pack their bags too. Okay, it takes them about three weeks. Why? Because women take forever to pack. I'm sorry, girls. I'm just sorry, okay? We guys, we can pack in like five minutes. Like I went, we went to Israel this past February with my wife. It's like she said, are you packed yet? It's like three days before. I said, I, I pack. For what? She goes, we're going to Israel in three days. I'll pack in three days. You know, I'd throw some pants in there. I mean, I don't care if I wear pants twice. 
you know, or sure, I just throw it in there. If, if I'm missing something, I, you know, they got pharmacies in Israel. I can buy a toothbrush, you know, and it's two weeks. I mean, if I don't brush my teeth for two weeks, what's the big deal, you know? And so uh, my wife, I mean, she's got everything ironed, everything laid out, everything planned. She's got a list. I mean, it takes her forever, and she doesn't wear half the stuff anyway when she gets there. But anyway, I mean, if you need, like, a, a bulletproof vest, she's got it. You know, it's in her suitcase. You know, if it's not, it's in her purse. You know, she's got it there. It's like, I, it's crazy. It's like, I, I need to sew something. Well, I've got a sewing kit in my purse. You've got a what? You know, it's crazy. Women have everything in their purse. But so, yeah, so, and, and listen, that was not a compliment, okay? It's like, that's right, that's good. That wasn't, I was preaching against that. So Naomi and Orpah and, and Ruth, they, they're, they're going. Orpah and Ruth don't take no for an answer. We love you, Naomi. You know what that tells me? Listen to me. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Naomi was a great influence. Now, Naomi, in chapter 1, she's a bitter woman. She th- feels as if God has done her wrong. She, she says to her townspeople when she gets home, don't even call me Naomi anymore. I'm bitter. Call me Mara. That's what, how I self-identify. I'm a bitter woman. That's who I am. I, I don't, I, God's not been good to me. God's been good to other people. He's not been good to me. El Shaddai, the, the provider God, has not provided for me. I mean, she's a bitter old woman, but she wasn't always that way. How do you know that? Because Naomi, at, rather Ruth and Orpah, wanted to stay with her. You know what that tells me? That tells me for years she was a pleasant person who gave a great testimony to God so that her daughters, when, they, when, the, when their husbands died, would rather spend time with Naomi, would rather have Naomi's God, would rather follow Naomi than they would their own families. Well, what? And so here's my principle number two. Dads, determine to make good directional decisions for your family. Dad's determined to make good directional decisions for your family. Understand the power of directional choices, okay? But moms, understand the power of your attitude. Moms, understand the power of your attitude. Your kids will have an attitude based upon you. You you reflect the attitude of the home. It's just true. When, When I retired from Harvest, Resigned from Harvard. The Lord led us to resign from that church. I, I thought I would be there until I was, you know, 80 years old. I, I love that church every day of my life. It hurts me still. We took that church with 40 people. God built it over the years. We had 1,000 people. We all loved each other. It was the most dynamic, healthy church I knew. And God led us away. And I mean, i tell you what, I was physically ill. I knew God was leading us away, and I was physically ill. I, I, it, was the, it, was like, it was like a funeral. I stood in line for five hours that last day. Five hours. There was a line for five hours. I just hugged people and wept. That last service, the deacons came to me and said, Kurt, we, we, uh, we've planned your, your last service tonight, and we've invited four preachers to come in and, and do the service. I have a lot of ministry friends. I thought, well, who, who do they invite? No, no, it's a surprise. I hate that. I want to be in control, you know. I said, okay. And you know who the four preachers were that night? Nathaniel, Joshua, Caleb, and Hannah. They believed in women preachers for one night, you know. And those kids got up and they talked. Let me tell you what they talked about. I, I saw my funeral before my funeral. I saw my funeral before my funeral. You know what they talked about? Not one of them mentioned a message I preached. 
Uh, Pastor Skelly, he's a preacher. No, not one of them mentioned one message. They didn't, not one of them. Matter of fact, none of them even mentioned one public thing I've ever done. They didn't mention any awards I've received, any friends I've had, any places I've preached, any countries to which I've traveled. They never, they never mentioned one of it. No, everything they mentioned, Dad, you were there at all my Little League games. Dad, you were my basketball coach. Dad, you know, when I got saved, you, you led me to Christ. But you know what? For every one thing that my kids said about me, they said three things about my wife. Nobody knows Wanda. She's quiet. She's not a lady speaker. She's not a soloist. She doesn't lead a big ladies' Bible study. She's just a godly woman that serves in our church and raised our family. And all my kids said, the real hero in our family is that woman right there. And she is. You know why? Because the attitude and authenticity of my kids is my wife tripping on them. That's what it is. It's her attitude. And girls, I'll just say this. Ladies, I'll just say this. Guard your attitude. Because there's a Ruth watching you. And there's an Orpah watching you. And one day they're going to have to decide if your God is going to be their God. Ruth said, your God is going to be my God. Okay, my question, moms, is does anybody want your God? Does anybody want your God? Do your kids want your God? Because the you're the ones that spend the lion's share of time with them. They get their opinion about is God good from you. They get their opinion about is God real from you. They get their opinion about, hey, does, is God fair from you? They get that. And I know that, I know that Naomi was going through a bad spell here. And that should give you hope, ladies, because we all go through bad spells. Sometimes we do have a little bit of a bad attitude. Sometimes we do get a little bit bitter. And sometimes we do get down the doldrums. But you know what? The story of Naomi's life was not bitterness. The story of her life was pleasantness. And when she went through the big trial of her life, Ruth was smart enough not to say, that's not who my mom is. Now, I know who my mom is. And I know what my mom believes. And I know where my mom is going. And, and God, God gave Naomi a wonderful transformation back to her character, who she was. I'm just saying, moms... That's you. You guide the attitude of the home. That's who you are. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll let bitterness overtake us. Sometimes bitterness comes because we're the victim of other people's bad choices. You know, my mom had a decision to make when my dad left. She had a decision to make. She told me, and I didn't know this as a kid. As a kid, you're just oblivious. But my mom, when my dad left, she spent three weeks on the couch. She said, Kurt, I couldn't move. I was in clinical depression. She said, you boys don't remember this, but if it weren't for the little Lutheran church up the road, our little small town, they would come down and bring us meals. These old ladies would come in with these casseroles, and they'd watch you boys, and they'd try to minister to me, but I couldn't get off the couch. I was so depressed. But you know, my mother didn't stay that way. God got a hold of her heart. You know, and she had a, a spirit, an indomitable spirit. If you met my mom today, she'd brighten this whole room up. She's 78 years old. She'd come in here and you'd think, oh my, what a lovely lady. And she is. I'm going to tell you, I believe today I'm in the ministry because I had a faithful mom who ne never one time criticized my dad. Never one time said, you don't know what he did to me. She'd say, that's your dad. You need to love him. And, you know, she, I'm telling you, her attitude translated into my love for God. I learned it from her.
You know, that's why the Bible says, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Why? Because moms, you spend the lion's share of the time with your kids. So they get their estimation so much of God from you. Attitude. Sometimes we're bitter because we're the victim of someone else's bad choice. Sometimes we're bitter because we suffer a series of successive losses. You know, Naomi, she lost her home. She lost her language. She lost her religion. She lost her husband. She lost her son. She lost her son. She lost her everything. And sometimes what happens is we go through trial after trial after trial after trial, and we do well. And I think Naomi did well for a long time. I think the story of her life was pleasantness. But you know what? There comes a breaking point. There comes a breaking point. And sometimes our attitude goes south when we say, I can't take it anymore. Be, be careful to take that thing to God, right? A victim of someone else's bad choices. Uh, sometimes a series of successive losses. Hey, sometimes we become bitter because we're away from the covenant community. I mean, think about Naomi. She was in Moab. No Bible. No teaching priest. No judge. No church, so to speak. No husband left, no kids. She's all by herself. And I'll tell you what, bitterness loves isolation. Bitterness loves it. Here's what bitterness says. Bitterness says, bitterness says, hey, listen, don't talk to me. Bitterness says, I'm closed up. Bitterness says, hey, I'm not answering the text. Bitterness says, well, I appreciate it, but Bitterness says, hey, leave me alone. Okay? God did this to me. I'm bitter. Now, be careful. You know why? Because if you let that exist over time, ladies, that will translate into your kids not wanting the God that you claim to know. you got to be careful. Deal with it. Naomi dealt with it. She realized in chapter 2, well, there is a God, and God does have a plan, and the kinsman redeemer thing works, and God wrote the Bible, and the Bible applies to me. And, I've got and so God, God got her through that. And so whatever you're going through, let God get you through it because your attitude is paramount in your home. Right? Number three, and lastly, talk about dads determine to wield the power of directional decision in your home. You will stand before God one day for the decisions you make, and the decisions you make are directional for your kids, ultimately for your grandkids, and for the people that aren't under your direct authority. One day, they will live or not live for God based upon your directional decisions. Okay? Moms, guard your attitude. Your kids' view of God. Do I want God? Do I not want God? It's largely formed by what they see in you every single day. Ruth said, I want your God. Okay, number three. Okay, teens. The power of individual choice. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys, teenagers in the room, and I appreciate you guys being here. That means a lot to me, you teens. It means a lot to me. But let me just say this. You cannot borrow faith. Do you understand what I mean by that? You cannot borrow faith, okay? I know what your mom and dad believe. You know why? You're here. You're in this room. So I know what they believe. I know what their priority is, okay? But here's the thing. We don't know what you believe. Not yet. Not yet. We don't know yet, okay? We think we know. But sometimes if you're not careful, you just become compliant. This is what dad believes, this is what mom believes, but I don't know. And, and you might. You might be rock solid, but we don't know. You know what we're going to find out? We're going to find out when you're no longer under rule. That's when we find out. Okay? So what we find out about Malon and Kilion is we found out what they believed. Okay? Because when they were no longer under father's rule, they made a really dumb decision. They chose Moabite woman. So that's who they were. That was in their heart. 
Okay, but it wasn't revealed until dad was gone. It wasn't revealed until they graduated from high school. It wasn't revealed until they were out on their own. It wasn't revealed. So what I would say is make sure, guys, that you have a real and authentic faith, that you're walking with God, that you're reading your Bible, that you know God. It's not just I know about God. It's not just I know my parents' God, but I know God. Okay? Some of the most passionate Christians in all the Bible were teenagers. Some of the people whom God used more than anyone else in the Bible were young people. So I want to say, don't wait to serve God. One of the joys of being in a small church like this, it's not going to stay small, take advantage of this season in the church. You know, to ask pastor, pastor, I want to be involved. You know, I can usher, I can lead, I can serve. Just decide right now that that's who you're going to be. Okay, make it real in your own lives. That's so important. Why? Because when your dad's gone, that doesn't mean that he's going to die, but I'm saying when he's gone, when you're out on your own, we're going to find out what you really believe. We found that out with Malon. We found that out with Kilion. Okay? We found that out with Ruth. Okay? Because Ruth had to make a decision. Now, Ruth, up until that time, she was watching, but it wasn't real to her. She saw Elimelech. And she saw Naomi. She saw her husband. And, 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 but, but, but it wasn't until verse 16 of chapter 1 that she said, okay, I've got to make a decision. It's not enough for me to be in the family that believes in God. I want to be somebody who believes in God myself. I'm going to give up everything, and I'm going to follow God. God Ruth, Naomi, your God will be my God. And so my question to you guys I think we've got uh, four of four, four you teenagers. At least I looked at you because you look like a teenager. But uh, uh, I look at you four teenagers, and I say, listen, guys, you have to make a decision. Will God be your God? Okay, if your parents weren't here, okay, if you, if you, if you God forbid, woke up one day and like Simon Peter's family, he wasn't, wasn't there, what's your decision? Does that make sense? And so you want to make a decision today, is God your God? Okay, the power of individual relationship. Okay, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You understand what I mean by by that? God doesn't have any grandchildren? What that means is we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again. We're not born into church. We're not born into the family of God. Because our parents are, we must be born again. Okay, so dads, the power of directional choices. Mom, the power of your attitude every single day, okay? Teenagers, the power of an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to speak to my friends, to this new church that you've uh, allowed me to become acquainted with. Uh, Lord, for my good friend, Brother Will. And Father, I pray for your richest blessings upon this ministry. Lord, I pray that in every good sense of the word that you would arise upon this area of Houston, that you would use the saltiness and the light of these people in this room to make a difference in a lost and dying world. Lord, we know that that's impossible without uh, your word and and your spirit being real in our lives. And so I want to just ask right now that you would Help every dad in this room to prioritize his decision-making by the word of God, to follow you, to seek godly counsel, to be a man of, after your own heart. And then, Lord, I pray for every lady in this room, 
Oh God, if there's a bitter spirit or even uh, some, some resentment that's lying latent, I pray, Lord, you would do that work of grace that kids might see and grandkids might see a genuine heart for God in every lady. And then, Lord, I pray for these teenagers. Thank you, Lord, for them. On a Saturday in a room full of adults, they've come. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that you would give them a real, bona fide, authentic, individual faith in you. And use their lives, not just in the future, potentially, but Lord, use them today. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. This is not really a preaching service, and I'm not going to have a come forward invitation or anything like that. But would you just take a moment in your own heart right now? Just draw a circle around yourself. This is not about your spouse. This is not about your child. This is not about your mom and dad. This is about you. Can you just take a moment right now and ask the Lord for his grace? Right now, just talk to the Lord. Lord, give me your grace. God, help me to be real. I don't know all of you well, but if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor Skelly, I don't even know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. If I were to die today, I don't even know for sure that I would go to heaven. I think I might. I've tried to be a good person. Listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, can I just say this? None of this even applies to you until you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, having been saved. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then I would say at your earliest possible convenience, even today, talk to Pastor Will. Talk to Shandy if you're a lady. We'd be happy to show you what it means to be saved. Our Father, I pray that your richest blessings would rest upon this church and these dear people. Thank you, Lord, for my small part in this conference. Bless tomorrow in a special way and bless the days that lie ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. Thank you, Brother Skelly. Well, we've been helped this weekend, haven't we? So what a wonderful message. I didn't get to hear the first one this morning. I have to go back and listen to that. We were playing kickball in the parking lot. But uh, enjoyed that so much. And so thank you for coming and spending your time with us on a busy week for you. And, of course, we're looking forward to a special anniversary celebration tomorrow. Two years. And it's exciting what God has done. And I'm excited to see what God will continue to do through people. And thank you for your faithfulness and being here last night and today. And uh, I just love that challenge for the young people, for the moms, and boy, for the dads. So I need to take that to heart and live that out. Well, thank you for being here and spending some time with us over the last day, uh, 24 hours almost here. And uh, we've packed a lot into this amount of time. I hope you go home and think about some things. I made some notes in the back as I was listening to that. Think th These are some things I need to do differently. These are some things we need to think about in our family. And I think anytime you come away from something like this where you've heard a lot of good stuff, uh, it's good to hear it, but then it's another thing to put it into practice. So I challenge you, go home, spend some time with your family, write some things down, make some notes, or maybe you just need to spend some time alone and think through it first of all. But really say, all right, how are we going to put some things in, into practice? And if you can just come away with one thing that changes your life, it makes it all worth it. It's a wonderful time.